there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, Morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. As 1999 set upon the newly minted WNEP Theater 2.0, the many strains of creation started to flourish. With our roots firmly begun in improvisation and group writing, Jen really started cooking. During the production and rehearsals of Burdick, ideas for what was next flowed like rum and we were all continually drunk on possibility and artistic promise. Well, what came to fruition in 1999 were two of my favorite shows in that decade. I directed both of them, and the results were mixed, but set the stage for when just a year later we would sign a lease on our own little tiny clubhouse in Boys Town, we would spend a few years creating more non-stop insanity than almost any theater company I can think of this side of the Wooster Group. All right, so while the various writing sessions began, I decided to reprise the form I used in Motherless Stage Horse. And if you've listened to that episode, you'll, you'll remember that. Free-form improvisation with silent scenes set to music as segues. In an effort to avoid repeating the previous show, I decided to cast a man and a woman. And the first version received like a lot of commentary about the juvenile nature of the scene work, although Bill Cott and Jay Succo managed to create some amazingly smart moments in between the poop and dick jokes. So I was interested to see how a mixed gender cast would handle this sort of open format. Now part of my uh, theory at that point when it came to improvisation was uh, to kind of throw the rules away and know that anything any conversation we have, any kind of uh, reaction we have to uh, a siren, anything, everything is improvised. Nobody gets up in the morning and has a script of how their day is going to go, no matter how well you plan it. So my idea was to put as a theatrical experience pure improvisation and kind of punk rock because I want it to be real dark. Um, my my sort of uber motive, my whatever you want to call it, uh, my main theme, and I told uh, the two cast members this, was that what I wanted them to explore was the idea that, and the example I used, was a priest can be a pillar of the community for 25 years, can counsel people, can you know build this credit card of amazingly good will and good works in his life, but then he fucks one kid and it all gets thrown away. And is that fair? How does that play out? Just kind of explore that idea in the characters that they choose. So I cast Jen, and uh, I cast a wild card improviser we both knew from comedy sports, Matt Kay. Now, while Jen approached improvising from an actor's point of view, it's sort of very grounded characters and a solid subtext for things, Kay was kind of from the shock them into laughing school of thought. It was kind of like an arranged marriage for the two of them, and, and learning to meld their very different styles 
was the task and actually I think uh, part of the success of the show. I immediately caught on to a genuine sense of competition between the two. Matt had a tendency to prejudge Jen's work as too slow and that just pissed Jen off to no end. So in the rehearsal process, I emphasized a lot of this antipathy and distrust to create an atmosphere of constant one-upmanship. Our theme, like I said, was the darkest natures of humanity. And, and so the process was as close to the pain game that I made Bill Cott and Jay Suko do, but never did again because Suko was so good at it. So it was as close as I was willing to introduce, and it was really volatile between the two of them on our best days. Part of their uh, warm-up sometimes would be to do the slap fight, where you have your hands on someone else's hands, and they, they go over and try to slap them, and that would piss them off. They would just, oh, just a lot of... Out of that energy, sometimes I'd send them to go play video games, and and anything that I could do that created this sense of competition seemed to work for them. Now, the opening of the show was a pre-recorded poem by Kay, and it was entitled "My Grandma's a Fat Whore in Jersey." That's the title, and then it was followed by six minutes of both actors destroying chairs, throwing toilet paper, screaming, running around, and basically scaring the shit out of the audience, underscored by Rage Against the Machine. Okay, so then the show, and then they would do their their scenes. They would do their their free form improv for twelve minutes, and then a, a musical segue. They do the the form. They, the show ended with them both standing center stage, staring down at the audience in complete silence, waiting for the crowd then to perform by either walking out or staring back or talking or demanding something more. The idea was, we just performed for you for an hour. Now it's your turn. Um, one night, the stare lasted for 12 minutes. We opened at 10.30, on, 10 .30 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays at the Bailiwick Studio. The immediate feedback from improvisers in the audience, and these are people that I trusted for years, was that they just simply didn't believe the show was improvised, that it had to be scripted. Their, their improv was so fucking tight that it seemed like they had written everything out. Their callbacks were clean, the characters were interesting, and it was dark. We received unbelievably positive press, one reviewer calling it, quote, tremendously brave theater, unquote, and New City listing it as one of the top five shows in 1999, along with one from Steppenwolf and one from Goodman. As we continued the run at the Bailiwick, the Annoyance, and then eventually at the WNP space we leased in the summer of 2000, the show evolved and it just pretty much rocked audiences consistently. Some of the specific remembers, memories that I have, um, we, were, we, were, we were late nights at the Bailiwick when he opened. Okay? It was a long black box space, and that meant we performed on whatever set was there for us, because it was late night. Now, in the early run, early part of the run, the setup was ideal. It was just a long, bare black box. It was all it was. Well, mid-run, I get a call from David Zack. Hey, Don, just want to let you know that there's going to be a new set this weekend, just so, you know, so you're prepared for it. I said, yeah, well, well how's the difference going to be? He says, well, as far as I know, there'll be a staircase and a bed as well as some flats upstairs. The audience seating has been shifted 90 degrees, so now it was a wide stage instead of a long stage. So it really didn't sound that difficult to navigate. So I, I actually just trusted that he knew what he was talking about and I didn't bother inquiring further. So we show up to do the show and David was right. There was a staircase, bed flats and a permanent five foot statue of the Virgin Mary bolted to center stage and three tons of sand on the floor. I mean, literally three tons of sand. Well, Matt went ballistic. I mean, I was 
flabbergasted. I mean, he, they were furious. And this was one of those director things where I, they were so pissed off. I, I went into immediate, let's fix it. Let's, I mean, we can't do anything about it. We've got fucking three tons of sand and Virgin Mary sitting in the middle of our stage. And what do we do with this? So I'm trying to think about that. Matt and Jane were fucking flipping out mad. And I realized that, that they, unless I was mad, you know, the fact that I wasn't mad that I was just working on the problem meant that they had to be mad. So I started throwing a fit and threw a chair and, you know, all this kind of stuff. That calmed them down. Then they're literally Jen and Matt are going, Don, calm down. And that put that in there. But I, I told him um, and Jen to find as many ways in that opening night, the, the night that we did it on that set for the first time, to find as many ways as he could to violate that statue during the show. Fuck her in the mouth, fuck her in the ass, whatever it is. And that they should perform in their bare feet. Matt humped Virgin Mary, stuck his, stuck his crotch in her face, wiped his naked ass on her, as well as a bunch of other things. And it was an amazing show. Okay, one night, a group of high school students coming in to see the show after a homecoming dance were privy to the night when both Jen and Matt, in the context of a scene about a xylophone player being instructed to strip down to better play the instrument, both ended up stripping naked. That was the last scene of the show, so they had the stare down. And it was so funny to me that they were standing there kind of hiding their bits. Jen had her hands over her tits and her, and her, and her crotch, and Matt was kind of covering his balls. That, that made me laugh so hard that these high school students were just, I mean, they were just stunned. They had no idea what to think. So I just let them, I left the lights on for about three minutes as I just giggled at these girls in pastel dresses and boys in tuxedos and their just stunned reaction. Uh, when we moved it to the annoyance, at one point they did an extended scene in the bathrooms and just yelled out their dialogue. You know, that was a 12-minute thing where they just, they did a scene and they were both in the bathroom having a fight. It was hysterical. Um, also, at the annoyance, they did a scene about two lit cigarette jugglers and juggled lit cigarettes over the heads of about 25 audience members um, it was a complete fire hazard as neither one of them knew how to juggle and the audience just trusted that they did. My Grandma's a Fat Whore in Jersey is one of my absolute favorite shows in my career as a director. It was exhilarating, it was smart, it was angry punk rock theater. Here's an excerpt of my favorite review in 1999. Quote, Matt Kay and Jen Ellison have created an hour-plus show that is wild and unfocused, alternately screaming loud and interminably silent, over-the-top physical, and marvelously subtle, embracing traditional forms of improvisation when it suits them, but more often eschewing them entirely. The two actors have done the impossible in a town bursting with improv shows, put one up that is unique and worth seeing. Though there are inevitable missteps, Fat whore is to be lauded simply for existing. More than that, however, it is very, very fun. The deep trust and few holds barred camaraderie between Ellison and Kay result in exceptional character work, clever and original scene shifts, and all the other elements that should be in an improv, with, an improv show with nine people, let alone two. So during all this time, and after a nearly a year of writing, Jen, Seth, and I were confident that our end-of-the-world uh, piece called Apocalypse, subtitled The Christians Were Right, was ready. So we sat down, we discussed staffing it. Both Jen and Seth wanted to be in the production. Seth really wanted to play Jesus, and Jen was gunning for the role of death. So we decided I would direct. 
I tapped Steve Polstrel, who was a super fan before, loved us in The Wicked and the Sects, and now was was interested in participating. So I tapped him to produce, got Ted Blagan to stage manage, and good old Bob Wilson to direct the copious amount of video included in this sprawling script. Steve and I set the budget, budget and booked the upstairs main stage of Victory Gardens on Lincoln, and that's, interestingly enough, the same space we performed Motherless Stage Wars and Armageddon Radio Hour in, but it was body politic at the time. The script was, I mean, it was ambitious. Uh, three different parallel stories told simultaneously with only a fragile connection. The idea was simple enough. The revelation, according to St. John, happens with a hitch. Three of the four horsemen, death, famine, and war, come down to earth to bring on the godly wrath of the end times. The catch is that the fourth horseman, Jesus, a.k.a. Conquest, came down as well, but refuses to bring on the rapture. So there's no rapture, there's no apocalypse. Instead, Jesus gets a job at a bar on the south side of Chicago called Jack's Bar so he can serve drinks and spin parables, which he likes to do. He develops a surrogate father-son relationship with Jack, which we find out in the end is that Jack is God the Father who came down to see what the fuck was going on. In the meantime, death, famine, and war have no power over the earth and turn to doing the best that they can. Famine eats constantly, but because the food has no nutritional value, he loses weight. Death becomes fascinated with the commercialization of religion and in, in getting things like uh, what would Jesus do t-shirts accidentally kills a whole bunch of people. War starts a cable program and tries to incite man against his neighbor by fomenting hatred and racial tension like Rush Limbaugh. The third strand of story involves uh, the Holy Spirit, who is really just a bureaucrat, coming to earth and empowering a 25-year-old waitress named Maria to go find Jesus and convince him to bring on the show. She encounters a religious conspiracy theorist, Jack Chick, and Satan along her journey. Well, Ted brought in the fantastic Jessica McLeod, Spanky, I called her Spanky, as our assistant stage manager, and the soon-to-be, and she, the soon-to-be WNP fixture, Jacob Snodgrass, to run lights. Joe Kaplan of The Annoyance designed and built the set like it was a house. Bob tapped an Iranian filmmaker who'd just been to Cannes uh, to shoot the video. The cast included some off-loop heavyweights. Pat Carton as War, Bill Gorgo as Jack slash God, Jed Resnick as Famine, Bumper Carroll as the Holy Spirit, Kevin Fleming as Kevin, that was the character name, Dave Hill as Satan, and both Seth and Jen as Jesus and Death. Although written for a 30-year-old Italian-American woman, I ended up casting Deanna Brooks, a 23-year-old African-American woman, as Maria because she just was perfect. Everything was in place. A strong and ambitious script, a fantastic cast, a super production team, a great venue. Little did we know at the time that Apocalypse would become our heaven's gate. <laughs> Brilliant, really expensive, lost a lot of money. What a, what a spectacle. Um, Steve Post, tended to produce a lot on the fly. So instead of sticking the budget when Jin needed more money for costumes, instead of consulting a budget, he'd just write her personal check or hand her cash. Kaplan's set went from a budgeted $1,250 to a whopping $8,000 and included a total of 37 television sets with 25 of them working and connected to five VCRs backstage, three full stages on top of the floor level stage, and a full-size bar that he built from scratch. 
uh, okay, while we're loading in all of the wood that Kaplan used for the set, which was a lot of fucking wood, Kathleen Carr, who was our associate producer, had nearly one t- a one-ton pallet of plywood squash her into a semi-lotus position and fracture her pelvis in the process. We actually drove, that we had the truck filled with all the stuff. She and Ted were in the back. It crushed her. And so instead of going to the Victory Gardens with all of our stuff, I drove straight to the hospital so they could pull her out of the truck with all the wood so I could take care of her. Um, she fractured her pelvis. We, you know, that, That's how we did it. And for a few years after that, her email was broken pelvis at, I think, Hotmail. Well, it turned out, another thing, uh, that Bob's Iranian filmmaker had literally only been to Cannes but had never had a film shown there, as he had told us. He had said that he was a Cannes filmmaker. He was not a, he was a filmmaker, and he had been to Cannes. Um, so he had, Bob had some trouble, and he had some trouble shooting the video scenes, and they were all scenes of death, war, and famine out and about in Chicago doing their thing. And the results were so bad that when I received the edited copies one week before opening, I almost cried. They were just sucky. So I ended up rewriting a third of them so we could do them live and then sucked it up for the rest because otherwise, how do I explain 25 working televisions with nothing to show on them? The huge cast, and it was a big cast, had a lot of downtime backstage and factioned off into splinter groups within the ensemble. The women, the improvisers, the actors, and the smokers. There was so much acrimony during the run between these factions, at one point, Ted and Steve got into a screaming match that could be heard in the studio theater next to us during their show, which was already like a Sam Shepard huge scream fest that constantly rattled the back the cast backstage. They were so loud. There was just a lot of anger in this cast. Um, one person that never was never involved, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in your life, Keith Whipple. And I want to talk about commitment to a character. Jesus Christ, this guy was awesome. I cast him as a street preacher who would, and he would go out and preach the revelation of the of, of, of the revelation according to St. John outside of the theater for 30 minutes before the show. As people were walking by, he would be on the street with a bullhorn, like a mega like a, 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 a battery-operated megaphone and a Bible, preaching the end of the world out on the street in front of the theater as people were either just passing by or coming in. And then he would crash the very first scene where they would start the scene and he would just run on. So everybody had seen him outside being the crazy guy. Now the crazy guy crashes the scene so he could explain the biblical text to the audience that didn't really know anything about the revelation according to St. John. During the run, this motherfucker had his Bible forcibly stolen from him at one point. Eggs were thrown at him. Physical violence was threatened to him. Um, And then the surrounding neighbors created a petition sent to the alderman to have him arrested. That guy never flagged. He busted his ass. Keith Whipple, absolutely one of those guys that you go to every time. Um, When it rained, and this is how the stage was, the rain would pour on stage through a central skylight that had been blacked out during the show and gush down both on the stage and on down the backstage wall like a waterfall. And that was where we had all <laughs> our fucking VCRs. So it basically threatened to electrocute Spanky as she tried to cue the VCRs while keeping them dry at the same time with towels and towels and towels. This happened at least four times during the run. 
On the final weekend, both uh, Bumper Carroll and Deanna Brooks received offers to do other work and left the production. So I went on as the Holy Spirit with two days warning. Spanky, who is our, as you recall, our assistant stage manager, went on as Maria and did the huge role off book without a single pickup rehearsal. It was had its moments of nightmarish uh, glory. On the other hand, Pat Carton was absolutely carnal in his portrayal of war with a bright red suit and a pair of prosthetic upper incisors that we had a woman from Steppenwolf make. He was scarier than shit and tore into the role with the fervor of a madman. Bill Gorgo was exactly who you'd want God to be like in person. And he brought this sense of calm and gravity to every scene he was in. Both Seth Fisher and Jen Ellison were dead on awesome. And in spite of the cast morale, the general level of performance was pretty damn good. And Dave Hill, I don't know if he's listening, but Dave Hill is actually the fucking devil. He is the devil. Well, the reviews were on the hate it or love it side. I mean, they were so mixed. On one hand, on the hate side, Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune disliked it so much that he panned it initially, and then later on, he put it on a list as one of the two worst shows in Chicago in 1999. On the other hand, Kim Wilson of the Chicago Reader gave us a rave quote that absolutely made my ear. Here's, here's the review. Quote, With only 50-odd shopping days before the end of the millennium, it was inevitable that the four horsemen would find their way on stage. Fortunately, they've arrived courtesy of WNP's tremendously gifted Jen Ellison, Seth Fisher, and Don Hall. In their satiric version of the end of the world, Jesus comes down not to launch Armageddon, but to rebel against it, taking a job as a bartender. Among those sent to find him are the other three horsemen, Jesus is the first, war, famine, and death complete the foursome, and a waitress. In their quest, the three horsemen leave ominous imprints, most notably war Pat Carton in the form of a red-suited, big-toothed, Tony Robbins-style huckster who starts by preaching self-empowerment and ends up delivering a vicious tirade against the whole fat, naive, TV, brain-dead, overpopulated human race. WP, WDP's work is solidly rooted in improvisation, arguably the most direct route to fresh insights and authentic dialogue. But where less mature playwrights present their impromptu material in its raw form, often resulting in disconnected thoughts held together by cheap gags, this group demonstrates a rare talent for shaping spontaneous sparks of truth into palpable, fluid, provocative drama. And this is my favorite quote. People who believe in the power of theater to shape minds and societies should flock to this visionary fable. Those seeking escapist entertainment, beware, this ain't no Jesus Christ superstar. I love that review. I love that quote. I loved that show, despite all of the nonsense. And that's the sum total of the history of WNEP Theater in the 90s. Apocalypse was our last show in the 90s. Going back, I gotta tell you, going back and reliving all of these moments has broadened my appreciation for every one of the people involved. I'm, I'm really more proud of the things we created together than I thought I would be. And, it, and isn't it always a little bit like that as time passes, you either hold on to the bitterness of why things faded and exploded, or you forget why you were there in the first place. But if you really take a good look, you realize that the work speaks for itself. Whatever fights, whether acrimony, whatever bullshit went on, the work holds up, and that was really nice. Without WNEP Theater, there are couples who would have never come together, and thus kids never born. There would be careers that blossomed, would never have blossomed out of those experiences, and longtime friendships never fostered. And there would never have been such awesome, insane, 
brilliant shows like the Armageddon Radio Hour, The Mysteries of Harris Burdick, Metalooning the Amazing Science of the Mind Review, My Grandma's a Fat Whore in Jersey, or Apocalypse. I'm pretty certain I'll do the next 10 years soon enough, but I'm going to take the back seat on Reminiscence and see if I can get the other players to tell the stories of WDP in the aughts in the 2000s. Some may be interested and others may still harbor that bitterness, but if I can manage it, I think it'll be a pretty great ride. Um, I want to say thank you, Don Smith, who was, if you recall, our intern in The Wicked of the Sex and is a good friend of mine living out in L.A. with his wife, Marilyn, is now uh, a VIP Patreon subscriber, and he left a really great review on uh, iTunes. So thank you, Don. I really appreciate all of your support. That's awesome. So, said that. Next week is my final tattoo story in the mix. And then I'm going to give you a break for a month or so while I start working on season four. So that's WNP Theater in the 90s. I hope it was worth the ride. And thank you so much for listening. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Journeys.